Hey, thank you for joining me today on Hope for Heroes Texas. This is Brad Cornell, where we serve those who serve us as they carry the weight of the badge. It's gonna be a long one, another graveyard shift. It is a new year, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, this is 2023, January. So I want to give a quick update and kind of uh, just talk with you all before we uh, kick off the big new year with different guests coming on and different officers, first responders, and that's what we do. You uh, you know, if you go to HopeForHeroesTX.org, you'll find out real quick what we do. And of course, what we do is bring officers, first responders into the Bevy Hotel, give them a beautiful night at the Bevy Hotel, all paid for by Hope For Heroes and through donations of yours. We also give them a gift card to spend in town so they can enjoy themselves for the weekend. That The big thing is, of course, the greeting. It's all in the greeting. That's why it's so important for folks to show up at the Bevy Hotel at 9.30 about in the morning on a Saturday morning. Go online. You'll find out what dates they are. It's usually two to three times a month, and it's just amazing to watch the greeting of these officers and their families that come in, and we just blast them and tell them how much we care about them, how special they are, and uh, it's just nice to greet them and tell them thank you for what they're doing. Thank you for being the heroes that they are. And really, ladies and gentlemen, this is a tough year coming just because of all the negative on our officers and first responders, so we just need to give them the confidence knowing that the public out here, the civilians, which I am, the uh, that's what I am, just a civilian, um, that we're out here, we care. We really do makes a difference what they do. And so Hope for Heroes last year, you know, we this will be our third year. So last year we fed over a thousand officers. You know, we do every, the first Tuesday of every month, we feed first responders, FBI, DEA, fire, EMS, uh, sheriff, police, whoever shows up is not for the public, but it's for the first responders who just come to the Bevy Hotel, enjoy a great meal and a bunch of fellowship with each other. And over a thousand were served last year. And then we had over 300 officers and their families come to the Bevy Hotel uh, for the greetings and for the gala and for, I mean, there's a lot more folks than that, obviously, but um, it was just really amazing to watch these officers and what a big deal it was. And, you know, we had over 500 just coat floats. You know, we do coat floats with cops on the first Wednesday, uh, second Wednesday of every month um, starting in February. So we bring the over here at coat floats uh, with cops is right here at the Blacksmith Grill and uh, Salty and Sweet right here in Bernie, Texas. And so about from three to five, we have the kids come in and parents or whatever. It's all free. Coat floats. You get to hang out with the cops, first responders, fire, EMS, and just chat. We need our young people to see how special that our first responders are. So we do that um, the second Wednesday. You need to show up over there, go online, hopeforheroestx.org, put your name in there. In fact, you'll get a special invitation. Boom. When the next one is, what time and a reminder. And also, uh, you know, we have a beef, the Texas Beef Initiative contacted us about a year ago um, because of all the good that we're trying to do out here. And they like the way that we operated. So this is a, a group out of uh, Dripping Springs, Texas. And these cowboys get together and they get beef and they have them all butchered in two-pound packages of hamburger. And for Kendall County, it's uh, Hope for Heroes. It handles, they give us the meat for free and we distribute it to different charities around the um, county. 
And over 17,000 people were fed last year because of that. So that's some special stuff, man. And then 2023 is even going to be better. And I'm excited about it. You know, Hope for Heroes Texas has uh, is all about just our first responders and doing all we can for them. We want to thank the guys here in Bernie, Texas, the PD and the sheriff and all of our firefighters and EMS. They've been just unbelievable here. They show up at the at the uh, greetings and just to support their officers that are coming from other op- other offices like Austin, San Antonio. Um, that's where we usually bring in the officers, and that's chosen through their peer support group. So they know who needs to get away and what families need to break in the action, and that's what we're here for is to do that. But it's not without your support because it's just wouldn't be any good to just have me there cheering. We need you there cheering them on also and just welcoming them, shaking their hand and telling them you care. I mean, you know, we forget what these guys do. I mean, when we're running out and they're running in, they are our heroes. They are actual heroes. I mean, it is amazing to watch what happens. I ride with these officers a lot around Bernie, Texas, and just to watch how professional they are, what they have to deal with every day. I mean, I we were pulled a guy over the other day and he ends up, we ended up taking him to jail because he had a warrant. And um, we had a missing front license plate. It was amazing. Couldn't believe why he didn't put his license plate on. But that was uh, an experience and how professional they handled that and uh, treated the guy with the utmost respect. And so it's just amazing to watch what our officers do from Austin, San Antonio, Houston, all over the state of Texas. In fact, this last uh, year, we had some great folks on, some great officers on my podcast. And really, this year, we're going to turn it up even bigger and better with uh, just different stories when it comes to bigger or better. But, you know, we just really want to know what goes on. What happens when they put that yellow tape around that scene or what's going on behind the the scenes? It's really interesting to find out what a sniper does. Uh, what are they doing the helicopters when they're flying around at night and these guys are shooting lasers at them? Um, you know, we've had some of the greatest guests on. Uh, we've had you know, Box. They call him Box. Yeah, Ken Cassidy, he's retired now from Austin PD, but what an amazing man. What a pillar of strength. Um, over all these years, he was take, he's the head of the union, the, the police officer association. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, what an awesome guy. But to deal with him and be around him, to see how these guys operate and how, how strong they are and how they their convictions are unbelievable. Joe Swan. He's another one with the helm, and uh, he's there now, and he's doing just a fantastic job for all the officers. We had him on. You need to go back and listen to some of these podcasts. Joe Brown, oh, my gosh, hostage negotiator, told me he needs to come to my house and help do some of that hostage negotiating with my wife. But anyway, that's another that's for another time. But he's on our board of directors, just an amazing guy. Um, and then we've got Doug Green, of course, out of uh, San Antonio PD. He's also just an, a, just a fantastic officer and a great friend. And our officers that come from San Antonio, they've been just amazing also. And so, you know, it's just it's just incredible when we start listening to all these different stories of our first responders and our fire and just what it takes for them to get out and do what they do. So this year, we're going to be bringing in just a ton of um, officers from all over the state of Texas. We're trying to expand, but, you know, you know they uh, drive can't drive too awful far. They can't spend the night. So, uh, I mean, they can only spend the night. They can't stay two or three days. But I want you to know, Hope for Heroes is making a difference out there. The letters, if you go online, if you go to our website, hopeforheroestx.org, you'll see the letters from different uh, folks that have come and what it meant to them. And that's what it's all about. So what's it mean to you when you come in a place and someone just greets you, you don't even know, it gives you a hug and tells you, hey, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for protecting the guys out there like us that are just uh, 
living our lives, but they put their lives on the line every day to protect us. And it's, uh, it's something that we need to take some time out of a Saturday morning, just stop in at 930, grab a breakfast tacos free and a cup of coffee's free. And uh, of course, donation, you can sure put a donation in there if you want to, but it's mainly just having you there in the fellowship and you'll, you'll know so many people that are there. So I just want to give you a brief update for this this coming uh, this year, 2023. We need your support. We need your cheering. We need you guys there. We need to just have you coming in and and welcome them. That's all you got to do is just a welcoming committee. But I'm so excited. You know, the Weight of the Badge podcast has had so many incredible officers and first responders on. It's just been it's been amazing 2022. But this is 2023. And uh, my first guest for 2023 is one special, special guy. He has been supporting Hope for Heroes from almost day one. And I'm so proud of uh, to have him on our team and to have him leading what he leads here in Bernie, Texas. You know, he's been in law enforcement now for since 2000. I mean, he uh, retired last year, but he was a he's DEA. He worked in New York and was part of the 9-11 people there that uh, the terrible uh, World Trade Center. He was there for that. Um, and he just, you know, he's just a man of steel and velvet in so many ways. And then he went to Bogota, Colombia for six years and then Miami. And then he ends up in San Antonio, Texas at the anti-gang initiative that they were handling there. He's got a beautiful wife, Heather, and uh, a daughter that's in school. And he retired last year, but you think he'd retire and take it easy? No, not this guy. He takes off and does something now that's just amazing. You know, with, with what happened down in Uvalde, that terrible shooting and the whole world changed, in fact, with that uh, whole situation. So Bernie, Texas, decided they needed to get their schools under control. And so they wanted to bring in a leader, a guy that had the horsepower, guy that knew what he's doing, guy that is a great leader. And so he became the chief of safety right here in Bernie ISD. He leads the charge. I go and I see him off and on, and he's doing these uh, different initiatives with uh, police officers and uh, shooting, you know, um, training and all kinds of things to keep our city safe. So I am without a shadow of a doubt so fired up today to have on my program today the Weight of the Badge podcast. Help me welcome just a great friend and an awesome uh, leader, 22 years in law enforcement, Rick Goodrich. How are you, sir? Thanks, Brad. That's uh, it's a pretty humbling uh, introduction there. I hope I can live up to the billing. <laughs> well, hey, buddy, like I said, you're a blessing. You've been a blessing to Hope for Heroes, to this city, to San Antonio and the DEA and uh, all the things you do. So I'm excited to have you here with me today. And so I just wanted to, you know, we bring in leaders and we bring in guys that have done so much. And man, I just, uh, I know you're also an Air Force veteran. We want to thank you for your service there. Thanks, sir. I mean, you just keep going, buddy. I mean, you just... <laughs> Well, it, uh, that service, and uh, just uh, coincidentally, right, I started at 18 in 1990 here in San Antonio, and then my federal career ended in San Antonio. Just a complete coincidence, right? Different agencies and everything, but, uh, and then uh, the number 22, right? I had 22 years of military service between active duty and uh, National Guard, uh-huh. and then 22 years of uh, federal service with a DEA, not planned. Uh, just happened that way. And you only look 44. I mean, what the <laughs> heck's the deal? Well, I, uh, you don't I, even look that I'm, old. I'm, I'll be 51 in March, uh, feeling about 65 right now. Yeah, so, well, uh, you've taken on a big job. Well, <laughs> hey, what was it? I mean, you know, what was it like on the World Trade Center? What was that? Were you there when it, the, it happened or did you come in after? Was it? No, so our office, uh, the New York Field Division of the DEA is on the the lower west side of Manhattan. If you're familiar with New York, uh, the World Trade Center sits in an area, Battery Park City there, where 
Wall Street and everything is uh, essentially at the tip of the island. And uh, so my office was about seven blocks uh, north of the World Trade Zone Center area. You know, at the World Trade Center comprised, of, I think it's seven buildings. Uh, we were down there a lot. That's where we got our uh, World Trade Center 7 is where the Secret Service was housed. Uh, some of our intelligence partners were housed down there. It's, it's where we went and got our annual physicals was at seven. So it's a straight shot for us. Uh, I lived in Manhattan. Uh, where not a lot of our agents that worked in New York to live in New York. You know, it's huge mm-hmm. commuter, uh, bridge and tunnel commuter crowd there. Uh, so it was much easier for me to not only get into the office, but once at the office there in uh, Chelsea Piers uh, to get to the World Trade Center. So, you know, the the towers didn't fall immediately. They were, uh, I think one was... 40 minutes to an hour after that first impact. I know it was the second tower that was hit was the first to fall. Uh, but myself and, a, and another agent uh, who was a former Marine, both of us had served, uh, had met at the office and made a collective decision. Hey, let's go and do what we can to help, right? No plan or anything like that. So we drove uh, as far as we could down there and uh, got out of our vehicles around uh, an area of Stuyvesant High School. Uh, that area has become famous for a lot of the the imagery you see. Uh, you see that road there coming off World Trade Center uh, collectively where Stuyvesant High School is. That was kind of the uh, incident command post there, large high school. Mm-hmm. It's got a pedestrian crosswalk over over the road there that's, uh, you know, it's high enough off the ground where emergency vehicles could get through. But it's noticeable in that it's it crosses the the width of that four-lane road. Uh, and so I remember that distinctly. Uh, as we were approaching, emergency vehicles lined up, as you can imagine. Everybody, you know, great Americans, right? Yeah, of course. Running to the sound of fire, uh, going to see what they could do. No real plan, but just know, hey, I'm value added wherever I'm at. Um, and as we were approaching, it's the first time in my life, and I'd, I'd experienced combat twice before this, uh, where I had experienced uh, auditory exclusion. So myself and the other agent, and I'm, I'm, Purposely not saying his name. He's still uh, engaged actively as a special agent uh-huh. uh, overseas. Uh, grabbed me by the shoulder and stopped us as we were kind of at a, at a half jog, right, going to the scene. Stopped me and looked, and then I saw the, uh, the tower collapsing in on itself. Uh, it's very distinct. Wow. Uh, and I equate this, when you see a large aircraft flying, like a C-5, uh, it looks like it's barely moving. Right? Yeah. It's just uh, the, bain, the brain correlation to seeing a large optic moving versus a small object. So when you saw the, the tower imploding on itself, it seemed like it was in slow motion, but I didn't hear it. Mm. So that auditory exclusion, right? The, the brain's yeah. reaction, right? The mind's reaction to try and help you cope with a critical situation. So we stopped and then you could see the cloud at the bottom of that debris and all that nastiness starting to channel up the street. So we turned and ran uh, as as far as we could. I don't maybe 25, 30 yards before we enveloped in that. And we had stopped uh, just coincidentally behind an ambulance. Uh, so in, uh, in Brooklyn in particular, a large uh, segment of the population, uh, Orthodox Jew. Yeah. And they have their own ambulance service, right? For some hard learned lessons they've, they've learned in Israel. Yeah. Uh, they've got their own plan. They've got their own response and they, you know, they handle their business. So we just happened to, to stop. It wasn't intentional, but behind an ambulance, it was just something big enough to kneel behind. Uh, 
And then I, uh, the other, you know, you kind of snap back into everything. And then I remember uh, these sirens, these warbling tones. And then what I learned uh, shortly thereafter is uh, when firemen, especially their air tanks, if when they become static or still for over a certain period of time, in this case, it was a minute, it automatically triggers an alarm. Oh, so they, people know where they're at. Strobe, right. Yeah. Strobe and an audible sound. And you could hear that everywhere. Uh, as it started to clear, those medics came out of the ambulance and they, uh, you know, you're covered head to toe with that, uh, with that debris. Yeah. Very fine, uh, dust. concrete dust, uh, and very small pieces of paper everywhere. Another distinct memory I have is all the paper caught on anything that it would touch, right? A tree, a limb, a, a leaf. So, uh, they use some some sterile water. They spray our faces down, and then they give us some four by four gauze, right? That you would put over a wound yeah. to cover our mouth and nose. Uh, dust starting to settle. You see firemen starting to move. Everything's covered in this gray dust, right? And I think the 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 videographers, the journalists that day, have really captured that scene really well, yeah. right? You know, you feel like when I watch it, I still feel like, yeah, I remember being right here, yeah. right? Did you run it? Did you have? Did you start running in or did you just? No, we, we didn't make it to the tower. Uh, it, as it started to fall, uh, we actually it's turned around away. Yeah, yeah Right, exactly. right. Just a natural reaction. You yeah. don't need a plan for that one, right? No, that's uh, a big tower. <laughs> see something scary, yeah. run away. Uh, so we ended up uh, at Stuyvesant School, had a, uh, had a gymnasium, right? Glass, uh, double doors across the bottom. We started moving over there and then uh, with NYPD, uh, depending upon your rank, it's a different colored shirt. So lieutenants and above wear a white shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw I saw a lieutenant and then some other folks. And uh, so we started moving that way. And then a guy produces a, a handgun and starts shooting out the glass. Oh, at the at these at these doors because he couldn't gain entry. Uh, and his thought process is, I'll shoot out the glass, I'll unlock the door and get inside. Where in the reality, just two doors over, it was unlocked. Right? Oh. And and I distinctly remember that supervisor going over to that plainclothes detective and taking his weapon from him and saying, not today. Yeah, yeah, you can't be shooting. It's a bad idea, son, not just today. What's on the other side? Even. But you see how different people react yeah, in yeah. these critical situations. And so one thing I've tried to focus on in my time here uh, in Bernie um, – as the safety and security director, right? We have a school resource officer at each school. Uh, we contract those, right, with uh, three different agencies. Bernie Police Department provides us eight. Yeah. And it's all where the geographic location of the school is. Kendall County Sheriff's provides two and Fair Oaks Ranch Police Department provides two. So that's 12 SROs uh, from three different agencies. And so a lot of our work we've done, at least in my time here, uh, based on my experience responding to uh, critical incidents, you know. Uh, now you guys responded to Uvalde too, didn't you? Yes, sir. I took a team uh, from San Antonio to Uvalde uh, and kind of saw firsthand. And unfortunately, it was not my first experience at a at a, at a mass shooting mm-hmm. or a critical incident. Uh, and so you try to draw on those lessons, right? The things you see. Uh, we talk a lot about the fog of war, yeah. right? But it's... Uh, being able to decipher what's real and what's not in a critical situation, right, is the thing that's most important. We talk about incident command, right? Objective, you can detach yourself from it, collect all the information, decipher what's real, what's not, and then execute a plan, right? It sounds very simple, yeah. uh, but it's actually very complicated, right? And we talk about multi-agency response. So we spend a lot of time here in Bernie 
with the sheriff's office, with our partners, right? Yeah. Police department, Fair Oaks Ranch. Uh, but also we've kind of, as a trend, have become a regional training area. So just last week when you came by and visited us with us, we had uh, 25 officers from all around the region uh, doing an instructor course based on what um, the state of Texas and Texas State University and the ALERT program, the Active Law Enforcement Response uh Rapid Response Training Program, ALERT, which is the governing body that dictates how we're going to respond to an active shooter. They're the standardization, right? We have a baseline for every first responder to, hey, this is what the expectation is for you in responding to an active attack incident. We yeah. tend to say active shooter a lot. Obviously, there are multiple ways to harm people. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, so we use the term active attack uh it's hard to old dog, new tricks, right? Yeah. I mean, you've been saying active shooter for a hundred years, right? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then now for the last, you know, hey, active attack. So active attack event. Uh, here in the cooperation we have with the community, right? And, and, and just one thing I want to brag on our, our, our town, uh, our parent teacher organizations, our charitable organizations like Hope for Heroes, Legacy Farmstead, 100 Club, Bernie Police Foundation. We had lunch provided every day. Yeah. Uh, during the course of this, uh, in addition to your first responder luncheon on first responder luncheon that you host the first Tuesday of every month over at the Bebby, uh, you fed 30 additional folks that day. Short notice uh, and still made it happen. Right. You're a can do guy. Sure. Everything sure I've do. seen out of you, your solutions <laughs> guy, not a problem guy. Yeah. You guys are special. Uh, and so that's what we work at. And so one of the things we try and eliminate, right, is. Uh, Working through that critical thinking process, right? Anytime you encounter something that's strange or foreign to you, yeah. I, I mentioned earlier that auditory exclusion that I experienced, right? The faster you can transition from that denial phase, the bargaining phase, all those things, uh, proofing phase where you're looking at those around you, hey, is this really happening? Are we really having a shooting? Yeah. The faster you can go from that to that critical decision-making, decisive decision-making, right? That saves lives. So we go through a several several processes here on our response as a school district, as a law enforcement agency, and as our fire and EMS, where we look at, hey, how can we cut down our response time? How can we get the most accurate information out to folks as rapidly as possible so we can make accurate decisions and assess and execute and do all those things at the same time, right? Yeah. Uh, multiple things going at the same time. So here, that's what we really focus on is our response time. Because everything else is really a deterrent. Gates, fences, locked doors, sure. uh, armed police officers at each campus, they're deterrents. When somebody has decided that for whatever their motivating reason is, that they're willing to trade their life for yours, we lose that deterrent value. Yeah, if they don't have sure. a fear of being arrested. <laughs> if they don't have a fear of losing their life. So now what we have to focus on is delaying their effort. Yeah and increasing or decreasing our response time and increasing the number of folks we can get there as rapidly as possible. But it's not just getting there, right? It's executing what our plan is once you're on scene, right? So we have those three priorities, right? Stop the killings, number one. What's the takeaway from Uvalde? Yeah. Stop the, stop killing. the killing. You got to. Right. And in order to next phase, stop the dying, you have to stop the killing first. Exactly. They either have to be in custody, yeah. deceased, uh, and then we're moving in to stop the dying. So it's not just good guys with guns. It's yeah, good guys with the ability to
to do medical intervention. Well, it seems like you're uniquely qualified to do these things too. I think, you know, I mean, being in the New York, you know, being in the World Trade Center, then going to Bogota, Colombia yes, for six years, that had to be a trip. Now, do you speak? Yes, sir. I'm a, I'm a fluent Spanish speaker. I was taught by the, uh, the United States covered it, invested <laughs> quite a so, bit of uh, time and money in, 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 in my education. Uh, so what'd you do there? Was that, what was that a so I was assigned to our uh, narco-terrorism unit there. Uh, okay. It originally was the Jungle Operations Group, and then we transitioned uh, because of the focus on narco-terrorism. So our group, uh, six-person group, everyone was specifically handpicked. They either had uh, experience in unconventional warfare, prior service military, or had received additional training as a special agent. Uh, my supervisor, who actually lives here in, in Bernie and who brought me to San Antonio, my supervisor there who brought me to Columbia, Dante Sorianello, had served in a similar capacity uh, during Operation Snowcap in Peru oh. and Bolivia. So he had had some paramilitary training that the U.S. Army had provided to be able to operate uh, in a jungle operations environment. So we would partner with uh, U.S. Special Operations Forces and then uh, Colombian military and police commandos. Yeah. Uh, that the United States, through Plan Columbia, provided training and resources. And so we had uh, three air mobile battalions, right, uh, trained and equipped to the level of, uh, you know, light infantry here in the United States, whether that's Marines uh, or Ranger Regiment or something like that. I'm not saying they're the same. Yeah. I'm saying trained and equipped right. and organized that way. Obviously, the United States is the greatest fighting force that this planet's ever seen. So I'm not, sure. I'm not saying... These are like individuals, very dedicated, patriotic, hardworking, hardworking yeah. uh, police and soldiers um, that were true patriots, right? So we would partner with them. Uh, our phase of that typically would be collecting and uh, defining targeting packages, mm-hmm. going, briefing that up, collecting intelligence, getting sources lined up, and then uh, executing those operations. And so we would do what, you know, what we would jokingly call the gringo on the ground, right? So we would assign two DEA agents to go out uh, on these operations with the Colombians. So during my time in New York and then in working in the focus on terrorism, uh, we really put our focus on our most stable ally in South America, and that was Colombia. And they were facing an insurgency by the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the FARC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the FARC was a very well-equipped viable counterinsurgency, right? They were the largest terrorist organization operating in this hemisphere. Mm. They had also collaterally kidnapped, had, uh, we'd had one of our surveillance aircraft go down in Southern Columbia and the FARC overran that position and were holding three American contractors who were serving this country, all prior service guys who continued to serve in the war on drugs. Yeah. So, we had real political resolve in this country under the global war on terror. Columbia said, hey, we, we need your assistance. Yeah. Right. And we investigated and saw the direct connection between cocaine trafficking and how they were using the proceeds from cocaine trafficking, not only to uh, supply themselves as an insurgency, buying the best weapons from across the world. Yeah. But also pumping and at that time, supplying about 80% of the cocaine that eventually made it to the United States. They controlled most of the rural area of Colombia, all of the coca cultivation area of Colombia. So there was, there was, it was, uh, 
it was a mutually beneficial relationship with the Colombian government trying to stabilize that democracy and then also our fight here, right? Not just against terrorism. Well, did you go after those guys? Yes, sir. Did you get them out? Well, we indicted 51. Oh, wow. Uh, but I mean, a, did you have to rescue – did you have to go in and rescue those guys they were holding hostage? The, those individuals were rescued. Uh, it's an unbelievable intelligence operation that pulled that off called Operation Hockey, which is Spanish for checkmate. Oh. Uh unbelievable operation that multiple agencies yeah. uh, collaborated with. I don't want to get too much into details. No, uh, that's okay. I just want to make sure we got them out. Yes, sir. <laughs> they were they were rescued along with 13 other high-profile Colombian really? hostages, one of which was a former presidential candidate, oh, wow. Ingrid Betancourt. Uh, and, you know, a, a kind of a, a silver lining on this, within the last three months, those three Americans that were held won a civil lawsuit against the FARC for their time when they were detained down there. Collaterally, millions upon millions of dollars had been seized through law enforcement efforts uh-huh. that the FARC had controlled in different parts of the world. And a, uh, a jury in Florida awarded a sizable well, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> what do we want to say? Compensation for their time. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's double digits in the millions sure. of dollars that yeah. these guys, and so they're going to be able to, uh, to live a better life. But that's why you haven't seen a movie made on this or a book written because of this pending litigation. And uh, my hope is in the very near future, the unbelievable work of the Colombian government and uh, U.S. law enforcement intelligence infrastructure, unbelievable story. It, it would take about 30 minutes to tell you uh, what they did. But it was unbelievable, and it's it's a made for Hollywood deal. Maybe we'll come back. Well, and we'll do come back, and I want to hear that. <laughs> do you? Uh, then, so you went back to. Uh, then you went back. You went back to Miami. Yes, sir. I was in South Florida as a part of a task force working with the FBI there, focusing on uh, gangs and violent crime. South Florida's got significant issues. Oh yeah, uh, I imagine. And a lot of that's you know immigration yeah. issues where we've had where you have uh, particularly uh, Haitian immigration. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this is nothing. This isn't a knock on the Haitian people. No, uh, just fact. And I, I mean, you know, and I've been, uh, and I've, I've, I've actually conducted offensive operations, capture operations in Haiti, uh, in particular in 2012, uh, after the devastating earthquake that they had had. Uh, and you know, those conditions are, it, it, it's tough, right? And so yeah. when you talk about how people live and how they're conditioned to live, right? It's it's that that value of life. Like here in the United States, right? We the world stopped when you had a, a young person trapped in a well. Yeah, exactly. Single person, right? Yeah. Uh, there are many nations across this planet, right? That would be like, what's the big deal? You lost one. What, yeah. What are you talking about? You, you yeah. got a person. You know, we lost fifteen today to a, a flash flood. Yeah. You know, and so when you put it in perspective, right, the value that we have here on human life and a lot of those uh, guiding principles, our, our, our moral compass, for example, you know, yeah. where we respect, hey, it's you shouldn't as an adult be attracted to a child. Yeah, exactly. And that's not a healthy relationship. No, right? no. Uh, so those, some of those things that you see overseas, uh, you know, we a lot of people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe that, you know, I, I'm so oppressed. I'm here. I'm this. I'm that. I'm like, you know what? I, I wish you could have spent <laughs> six months of my life, right? I wish you could have come to me, come with me over to Mogadishu, Somalia, 93, when starvation was being used as a weapon. You want to talk about how oppressed you are. Uh, you talk about uh, you talk about Haiti, like I was just talking yeah. about. We're even flying over in a helicopter from the Dominican Republic into Haiti 
where you can see when you transition from one country to the other because it's been deforested, the roads are in poor condition. Uh, you can't make it up until you see it. You can't really yeah. appreciate it. I don't have the vocabulary to describe the difference, right, uh, of the situation where a lot of these folks are living in. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's amazing, all the things. Like I said, you're so – I know when I first met you, you were doing uh, the uh, serving warrants and doing all those things. You guys <laughs> yes, teamed that. Of course, probably to us, that's just like, oh, my gosh. And I know some of the, the uh, operations that you've done have been amazing. And you are just so uniquely qualified to do what you're doing. And we're honored and blessed to have you here in Bernie, Texas, doing what you do. I mean, I think Thank we're so probably much, the Brent. best, have the most experience, probably have the best people working. You know, I – RPD, sheriffs, DEA, all you guys are, man, you talk about professional and, and it's all because of your leadership, Rick. And I just want to tell you that, because uh, I want to have you back and I want to tell you, thank you how you've supported Hope for Heroes. Every, every morning, every Saturday you're there, it brings a lot of smiles, to a lot of people's face because you're so, you're, you honor us in such a great way. You know, we're just civilians, but I know the, uh, what you've done and how you've been such a blessing to this city is beyond words. And so I just want to thank you and, I uh, I just can't even begin to tell you. Like I said, I look at your you look at your background and all the things you've been through, but yet you're still humble, kind, got a heart for everybody. When you could just be retiring over at uh, over on the coast in Columbia, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I want to thank you for taking the time to come on Hope for Heroes, and I want to thank you for all you do. Well, and, and if I may, Brad, I want to pay you the compliment back. Uh, you know, I go to Hope for Heroes for selfish reasons. Right, because I feel like maybe I'm contributing some small part uh, to help somebody dig out of whatever their worst day was. Right, because I've I've been there on the other side of it. I've I've had soldiers, I've had law enforcement officers commit suicide or attempt suicide or uh, going through their darkest hour, and it's usually those small things that all it requires is just a little bit of our time uh, to make a huge difference in somebody's day, life, whatever it is. Uh, and I, I take a lot of pride in that, right? I, uh, I, you know, I, it's not just hope for heroes. I do a lot of work with the hundred club, as yeah. you know, uh, legacy farmstead, uh, really anybody who needs help, you know, sure. uh, for, uh, shooting tomorrow with Bernie PD and wounded warrior. Yeah. You know, and, uh, not a public event. Uh, you know, we host them once a year up here where we do a uh, shoot with a veteran, uh, with Wounded Warrior Project as a part of our September 11th remembrance. Uh, and those guys came back and they're like, hey, we'd just like to, to get some some firearms training. Sure. And so uh, Bo Patton from Bernie Police Department, uh -huh. Steve Perez and, 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 and Cody is the chief and assistant chief said, yeah, this is worth doing. Bo, open up the range, get those guys out there. And they're going to start training with these guys sure. every other month. That's what makes this place special is nobody's yeah. doing it for – the pat on the back or the admiration or any of those things. And I know we're running over, so I apologize. It's okay. I'm passionate yeah. about no. what, what so many people in this community, yeah. including yourself, are doing. So thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity to come on board. And I look forward to, to coming back sometime. I want you back again. And again, tell your beautiful wife, hello. We'll I see you will. this Saturday, I hope. Yes, and sir. Uh, we'll continue to support anything that you're doing. So thank you again, my brother. I appreciate you. Thanks, Brad. Hey, so glad you joined me today. Now, you're going to want to follow us because we've got some upcoming episodes that you're not going to want to miss. See you then. All the bad.